0: News Power
1: Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. We, sh- we sure do. This evening we've got uh, our colleague Jared Neves in the fine music radio studio in Cape Town where Jared lives. Jared, uh, you're going to be talking to us cars at about six o'clock.
2: Yes, yeah, the Toyota Starlet. It's actually a Suzuki Beleno in disguise, but we'll talk about that a bit later.
1: <laughs> Did you understand any of that?
3: Absolutely nothing. I think the jargon that the, that the petrol head Jared Neves, um, brings out is um, just just beyond my <laughs> level of expertise.
1: But, but we <laughs> will ask you to please explain. Uh, we, we heard Toyota and we heard... Scarlet. Scarlet Starlet. Starlet. Is it, yeah. Starlet. Yes. Toyota Starlet. Starlet. And then a It's Suzuki. quite a, it's a
2: historical name in Toyota's history, actually, so lots to unpack.
1: Looking forward to that, Jared. And b- before that, we're going to have another of our colleagues, Clive Eckstein, who, well, I guess most people know Clive was uh, a South African cricketer. He was the commercial director of Cricket South Africa. He got caught up in all the politics there. To our good fortune, he left Cricket South Africa, joined Business about, I don't know, nine months ago. And uh, he's going to take us through the craziness that continues at Cricket South Africa because Clive left.
3: And Alec, I mean, we get to uh, hear all of Clive's pearls of wisdom on a daily basis, but unfortunately our listeners don't. So get, they get that opportunity this evening.
1: Indeed they do. So there we've got uh, the inside track on the whole chaotic cricket story. There are no more Proteus. Well, there aren't going to be after Friday. So South Africa's not going to be playing international cricket anymore. Until they sort out their, their mess, according to the minister. Uh, we've also got uh, cryptocurrency. We'll be talking to the general manager of Luna Africa about that. Uh, Jackie had an interview with Neil Birch, the chief executive of Novus. it be interesting to hear what he had to say about Media24 selling down its 17% stake in that business. And, of course, this being to Friday means after six, after Jared is?
3: Carrie Adams and, and her guest, uh, Joan and I Naidoo. And, you, you know, as always, Alec, uh, Friday comes and you know, and I've got the orange linen art. I'm consistent with that one.
1: Well, you are. I uh, was a little um, inconsistent. I'll join you next week with the orange. Well, I don't know if I've got... I do. I have an orange shirt. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. Orange it is. Uh, and we will be hearing from Carrie with wine in the studio. Because it's really ridiculous. If you, you've got a Carrie's Corner and you're talking about wine... Why doesn't she actually come and clink glasses with you? I don't drink, so I'm no good. Dudu just refuses. She's, are you fasting? Or, uh uh-uh, she's fasting. But uh, Carrie, well, uh, I'm afraid you, you're going to have to keep her company.
3: Awesome. I'm time. looking forward to that one, Alex.
1: As we always do. Thank you very much for being with us this evening. Uh, of course, lots happened today, although it is Festive Friday. Just to let you know, we're not here on Monday. So, we will, there'll be no Business Power Hour on Monday. It's impossible to get people from the business community uh, in a, a, a long weekend to come and participate. So, we thought, look, best, best thing not to bore everybody. We'll have beautiful music on Monday evening, and the Power Hour will be back again on Wednesday after the historic 27th of April. And actually, before we go into any of this, how old were you in 1994, 27th of April?
2: I wasn't born yet.
1: And did you? Two years old. Jared?
2: I wasn't born yet. <laughs> you
1: know, it's it's quite astonishing. Okay, so I've got to just tell you the story because up until the 27th of April, 1994, there was so much concern that there was going to be violence. We had uh, the the fringe elements in the country who really didn't want the election to go ahead. And when the big day came, people queued for kilometers after kilometers, most people in this country had never voted before. It was the most amazing. I get uh, shivers down my spine just remembering it. So when the 27th of April comes up every year, it really is a big deal. It's a big, big deal for us as South Africans. And, you know, we're going to enjoy it as a holiday, but it's also good to remember what a historic occasion that was for us and how we became a new nation on that day. So, I'm looking forward to the 27th of April. And uh, even though you guys were not around or, or very young at the time, two years old, Dudu was, <laughs> it, it still is something that you need to just embrace and participate uh, in it. As I'm sure many people who are listening to us this evening are making their own plans. I suppose the last time of the year, you can have a proper briar as well, because it starts getting cold. Eh?
3: Exactly, Alec. And, and I think it is important, even for the born freeze, to understand. Um, what the day represents and, and how big of a day it actually was in, in, in the history of South Africa.
1: Yeah, we have a troubled past, but hopefully we have a better future. Let's find out what exactly happened today from our editor at large, Jackie Cameron. Here's the flash briefing.
4: South African prosecutors say they are seeking the extradition of a British national who has been implicated in a fraudulent deal with state power company ESCOM. Michael Lomas appeared in the Westminster Magistrates' Court this week and was granted bail of £100,000 and submitted additional surety of £250,000. Lomas's arrest and court appearance emanate from months of talks with the UK authorities about a fraud and corruption case relating to ESCOM's payment of seven hundred and forty-five million rand to tubular construction projects. That company worked on its new Kusila power plant, an escalation clause in the contract exposed Eskom to a 1.4 billion Rand liability. Lomas has been indicted together with four suspects, including two former Eskom executives who were arrested in December and are next due to appear in court in June. The UK courts will decide whether Lomas has a case to answer in South Africa. Steinhoff's discount retailer Pepco says it will open its first Pepco branded store in Spain this month and 10 more by September. This steps up its expansion ahead of an expected IPO this year. The group, which also trades as pound land in the United Kingdom and deals in Europe, is still battling the fallout of its 2017 accounting scandal. Steinhoff says it has decided to seek necessary consent from its financial creditors for a listing of Pepco Group. That decision came in the wake of reports last week that Pepco would list its shares in Warsaw rather than London. This could become Poland's biggest IPO this year. In other Steinhoff news... An ex-Deloitte partner is facing disciplinary action in the Netherlands for an improper audit of Steinhoff International prior to the South African retailers near collapse more than three years ago. The Dutch Authority for the Financial Markets accuses Patrick Seinstra of failing to obtain sufficient and appropriate audit evidence from the annual accounts, it says. Deloitte refused to sign off on Steinhoff's accounts in late 2017, leading to the resignation of then-CEO Marcus Joerster. The firm had been auditing Steinhoff for years, initially in South Africa and then from Europe after the company moved its primary listing to Germany. In the probe that followed the scandal, PwC uncovered about $8 billion worth of irregular transactions between Steinhoff and eight firms between 2009 and 2017. Bitcoin headed for its worst week in more than a year as a proposed capital gains tax increase for wealthy Americans intensified the volatility whiplashing the world's largest cryptocurrency. A fresh bout of selling on Friday drove Bitcoin down as much as about 8% to about $48,000 a Bitcoin as it continued to take out key technical levels. This week's route marks the worst period for Bitcoin since March 2020. Even digital currencies that have managed to eke out gains over the past few days like Ether and the satirical Dogecoin – tumbled at the start of the weekend as the crypto space turned into a sea of red. For more on whether you should be investing in cryptocurrencies, the risks, rewards, and pitfalls, visit the Business YouTube channel to watch the latest Business Finance Friday webinar. Labour Union Solidarity has sent a list of more than 120 competent and winning engineers to Lindiwe Susulu, Minister of Human Settlements, Water and Sanitation. It says they can easily replace the twenty four Cuban engineers who will cost millions. This comes after Minister Susula welcomed the arrival of 24 Cuban engineers in South Africa earlier this week who have been brought to the country to address what she says is the ongoing water crisis. The use of these engineers forms part of a 2014 bilateral agreement between South Africa and Cuba on cooperation in water resource management and water supply. And that brings to a close your BizNews Flash Briefing. For more on those and the other main stories of the day, do head over to biznewsradio.com. I'm Jackie Cameron for (laughs) BizNews.
1: You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Wow, there are lots of people who are catching their breath after that flash briefing. Mike Lomas, a regular guest in the studio when uh, I was doing business radio shows in the 90s and and the 2000s. The chief executive then of Group 5, when it was still a company, Uh, that in fact was a significant construction company. He's right in the middle of a huge scandal, as you heard there. And we will try and get more on that story on Wednesday and perhaps even try and get hold of Mike Lomas himself. He's sitting in the UK. Interesting to know whether or not he's going to be extradited back to South Africa. But scary stuff that was going on during the Gupta regime. Okay, let's find out what happened with the markets. And Brightrock believes that... With every change in life comes opportunity, and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Yes, Justin.
3: The JSE All Share Index was up at sixty-seven thousand three hundred. The highlights included Asset Manager ninety-one was up two and a half percent to a shade under fifty bucks a share. European mall, mall owner Nepi Rock Castle was up 3.4%, to 98 rand. Discovery was down 2.25% to 130 rand a share. And in the US, Coinbase is slightly up to 300 rand a share, despite Bitcoin being in freefall. In the currency markets, the rand was weaker against all the major currencies, to 14 rand, 29 cents to the dollar, 19 rand, 80 cents to the sterling, and 17 rand, 23 cents to the euro. Gold is down at $1,775 an ounce. Brand crude is trading at 66 dollars a barrel and the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 700k a Bitcoin
1: sorry I was just looking up Mike Lomas uh, he he was at group five for many years and then retired uh, left there in 2007 to be uh, picked to be replaced by Mike Upton so it's actually quite surprising when people that you know and have interviewed and and were Supposedly fine, upstanding citizens are suddenly on the back foot, well, in in court being accused of massive fraud and corruption with ESKIM, which is a public utility.
3: It's ugly, Alec. Uh,
1: This market report was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. (music) Maurice Rates joins us now. Uh, He is the general manager of Luno Africa. Uh, and marius it's it's been a wild week for uh, uh, cryptocurrencies. What happened, Justin? Before we go, uh, we we pick up with marius What's it, what's the the action been like on crypto this week?
3: Very volatile as always. Uh, Bitcoin has plummeted around twenty percent from its highs. Remember that eighteen percent or lower is regarded bear market territory. Although do we consider Bitcoin a financial asset as of yet? I mean, Coinbase going going through an IPO in the states. Many people are considering it to be that way. But Marius, it'd be great to hear your opinion on this. Uh, what do you What do you think of the Bitcoin price action over the last week or so?
5: Evening, Justin and Eric. Thanks for having me on the show tonight. It's uh, it's been an interesting week. Um, as you rightly said, the Bitcoin price is down twenty percent over the last five days. And um, even after such a drop, it's still hard to believe that it's, it's still up 72% year to date. So um, I think people forget that often. Um, I, I think, you know, we've been in extreme greed territory for quite a long period now. And you know, many commentators have said that, you know, the market was bound to correct um, and that this recent price drop is well within the bounds of the typical volatility that we've become used to in the Bitcoin market. Um, it has been the ongoing theme. I think if we look back to 2017 and, and, and during the previous bull run, we saw several 20 to 30% drawdowns uh, over the course of that year. Now, whether this is triggering a new bear cycle, um, I'm not sure. I think you know if we look back over the last year, we look back over the global and still the current financial crisis, it's really created the perfect storm for crypto. And now, firstly, Um, all of the uncertainty. Now, you mentioned taxes in the U.S., uh, economic recovery packages, vaccines, weakening currencies, etc. And now we see this not only in the price, um, but we're seeing new retail investors buying Bitcoin as an inflation edge. Not everyone, certainly not everyone. um, But some some gold investors buying gold, we now also see taking up small positions in crypto. Um, So it's not a case of... Bitcoin replacing gold. But I think over time we'll see, see that flip. And, and, and sure, also a new distribution channel. So we've seen PayPal enter the space. We, uh, last week we saw Benmo, a PayPal company, um, uh, entering the space and, and making it possible for people to buy and sell crypto. So I think there's still a strong demand. We've seen better distribution or easier access and safer access, hopefully. So I, I think, you know, I think we still have lots of momentum.
1: I'm just looking at the rand yeah. price of Bitcoin, Maurice. And as you mentioned, 2017. Well, it started the the year 2017 around 10,000 rand. It then had a crazy surge towards the end of the year to get to nearly 300,000 rand. But then it halved within two months to 100,000. And then by the end of 2018, it was down to under 50,000. That kind of volatility, if you buy at the wrong time, can actually put you in the poorhouse. are people being sucked into bitcoin on the anticipation that this is a kind of a sure bet but they're not remembering that it can be that volatile
5: for sure alec um you see a lot of greed in the markets, a lot of first-time investors entering the space people that have never bought Shares or in made any other investments entering the crypto space and um, putting, in, putting in money. So, um, no, um, definitely, I think, um, you know, and the, the saying that don't put uh, no, don't invest money that you can't afford to lose is, you know, is not truer than ever. And so I think if you look across emerging markets, not only in East, so across Africa, we're seeing a lot of first-time investors and it could be because of lower minimums, it could be because of easier access, um, but I think, you know, over the last year, lots of people went on about the institutional-led demand, and, and that is true. We've seen lots of institutional buying Tesla, Square, MicroStrategy. But in emerging markets, where we don't have that level of sophistication when it comes to regulations, we've seen more retail demand and a mixture. So we've seen speculators, which we can classify as the greed side, and then we've had more sophisticated buyers as well. And we see that in the data, you know, we see people – buying a set amount of Bitcoin on a monthly basis, on payday, and we see people um, monitoring the price of Bitcoin whenever the price drops, people buy in, buy the dip. So we can, we, we can see all the, all the activity. And so it's certainly a, a, a mixture of uh, uh, um, uh, greed. So people wanting to make a quick buck in the short run and they burn their fingers. But then we're also seeing investors, people actually taking small positions. I think, single-digit percentage positions in cryptocurrency. And we're seeing more of that um, compared to 2017.
1: You've mentioned greed four times now, and you said it was the greed cycle. Just unpack that for us. What is the greed cycle?
5: Greed cycle um, is FOMO. So it's fear of missing out. So it's people hearing about crypto over the radio, people reading about it in the news, but they don't understand the, the technology behind it. They don't understand the risks involved. And so because... Cryptocurrency is fairly easy to access, and, and we've, we've actually had easier access over the last last couple of years. Um, people started buying it um, through word of mouth and didn't understand the risk. So, um, but on the, on the other hand, um, you can also argue that the greed cycle to some degree filled the market and it led to more useful or better use cases. It's led to increased volatility, I know, increased, um, increased market capitalization. It's led to increased liquidity. So it's become easier to exit positions, buy and sell, um, which isn't ideal because, sure, some people would have lost money. But, you know, you see that in, in currencies. You see that in forex. We saw that over the last year in the U.S. Um, where everyone rushed off to, um, to some of the investment apps to buy, to buy stocks. So it's not, it's not limited to crypto only. But there's certainly a a big element in crypto for that as well.
3: Marius, let's forget about the 20% drawdown this week. Uh, The general sentiment towards cryptos and Bitcoin has been euphoric this year. We've seen the the Coinbase IPO. Does that not give you some ideas for Luna itself maybe to list at at these prices, at these valuations, give your VC investors and maybe some of the partners a chance to, to exit at a great price?
5: Yeah, that's a good question. No, I, I think it's, firstly, it's very impressive for them to pull this off in, in our industry. They've built a very impressive and successful company uh, to fetch a valuation of $85 billion. It's, it's it's very impressive. And it's good for the market. Un- until now, the focus has been on cryptocurrencies rather than the businesses around them. So I think there's a bit of a spotlight on the businesses. It will show some of the sophistication uh, we've seen the. And uh, But to answer your question, uh, they will be under tremendous pressure to produce short-term results. So they will have to report on quarterly earnings um, and, and they will have to show growth at all costs. So I think for, for us at Luno, being a privately held company, um, you know, we can set our own strategy. Um, we're not under the same amount of pressure. So I think we're happy um, with that status for now. Um, <laughs> but I think overall, it's good for the market.
1: Morris, 10 days ago, mm-hmm. Bitcoin cost you 922,000 Rand. Today, you get 711,000 Rand. I mean, those are big numbers, which is also a big decline, 200,000 Rand, if you happen to have bought a Bitcoin at the top 10 days, days ago on the 13th of April. When you you talk to investors, do you warn them about this kind of volatility?
5: Absolutely, Alec. We, we have to, you know, firstly, we can't give any financial advice. So. We provide the the infrastructure, the, the the product, where people can make their own decisions and buy and sell. Don't have advisors advising clients when to buy in and how much to buy. Um, so when someone's not sure, we would guide them. We would say these are some of the methods, For example, rent cost averaging. So some of, some some people um, use that strategy very effectively. Where they buy a set a fixed amount of, of, of crypto on a monthly basis and average their cost price over a period of time. So certainly, it's, it's very important to highlight the risks. Um, crypto is still very, very volatile. It's still a fairly young market, despite being around for, for 12 years now. And the volatility or reducing volatility won't be magic of the market. It will take time as more people enter the market. Um, we, we should see the volatility come down over time.
1: Marius Reitz is the General Manager of Luna Africa you're listening to the biz news power hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com well another member of our team is in studio with us tonight uh he is our commercial director clive Eckstein, uh who's well known for his cricketing prowess and uh, and i think at the home of golf some of your <laughs> golfing prowess nowadays clive what's going on in cricket south africa
6: yeah, not a good day, Alec. Um, you know, the Minister of Sport, Minister Ntetwa, has informed Cricket South Africa, the interim board, the members' council of his intention to invoke, uh, I think it's um, Section 13 of the Sports Act, um, which basically means that he's going to withdraw funding, which is not the end of the world for cricket, but bigger problem is withdraw recognition. So that means they can't play as Proteus anymore? You can't play as a national team. None of the national teams, men and women, or under 19, would be allowed to play as national teams. That's team. drastic. It is drastic. Uh, the minister has been, in my opinion, very patient. There is a back door because uh, you know, in his statement, his intention, and it will only come into being when it's gazetted. And as far as I know, that takes a week or so. So the Members' Council, which is really the the highest body in, in cricket South Africa, it's, it's, the ball's firmly in their court. He's been patient? He has been. He's um, been going on and with the Members' Council and the interim board for probably the better half of six months. It goes around the changing of the MOI. and MOI? The, the Memorandum of Incorporation. And there was a meeting last week, Saturday, where... The Members' Council agreed before to change the MRI. You need 75% or more, and they never got that. And it really goes around more independent directors on the board and an independent chair. So what happens
1: now to cricketers who were hoping to play for South Africa against international teams?
6: If, If this comes into being, you won't be able to play. A bigger issue is... And the minister has said he's going to inform the ICC, the International Cricket Council. And they are very clear, like most sporting bodies, if there's government interference in a sport, they have the right to suspend that um, team or that country. And if we are suspended, then it has a whole knock on effect financially for the game. You know, it's not just about obviously the most important are the players, but there are a whole lot of other people who make a living out of cricket just think of ground staff uh, coaches etc etc and they have a massive knock-on effect so
1: the sponsors yeah uh, when we saw issues before standard bank decided that they wouldn't continue mm-hmm. uh, with cricket south africa and they had been for how many years It must have been a couple of decades that they'd been the major sponsor of the sport things must be pretty much out of hand how how do you get sponsors back a and secondly how do you fix this mess?
6: Um, I think the the change of the MOI is a good one. Um, you know, not just going independent directors will fix everything because you still need a lot of cricket knowledge in the game. And I think you can still get independent directors who are excel in their field, be it legal, marketing, finance, etc. And there's enough cricket knowledge within the system. So I think the MOI, it was. Supposed to have happened back 2012 when Nicholson, Judge Nicholson gave his report and cricket then wanted to change and they didn't. So we are, what, eight, nine years, nearly probably ten years now down the line. Um, it still hasn't happened. And I think the minister now has said this is the only way for us to fix the governance issues and move forward. Cricket is funded by broadcast firstly and secondly by sponsors and if you're not playing there's no broadcast money and sponsors will get irritated it wouldn't surprise me if sponsors almost almost take a break not break out of the game but don't pay anything so that you know because there's if they pay now they they don't have any opportunity to get bang for their buck
1: In South African soccer, it went through very difficult times, sticks, where lots of corruption, etc. At that point in time, no one would touch it. The sponsors all withdrew. They only came back when things had stabilised. Is that a possibility here, or could the stabilisation happen quickly enough that the existing sponsors aren't going to run for the hills?
6: I think this could happen very quickly if the members' council come to their senses and uh, something is done, because the minister has given them a backdoor, in my opinion, because only comes into play when it's gazetted. So you've probably got a week, maybe 10 days. If they move quickly, this could move on and, and sponsors, players, and the rest, it carries on, so it was a bit of a speed bump in the road. If they don't, and South African cricket does get suspended, it wouldn't surprise me if sponsors withdraw. You don't go to the World Cup, big paydays. What World Cup is coming? T uh, Twenty World Cup at the end of the year, October, November. And what other tours are scheduled? Um, the men's team is supposed to be going to the West Indies, um, the middle of the year, June, July. So you wouldn't be able to tour. So it has a massive knock-on effect. Any of the big uh,
1: countries that big cricketing countries, India, England, mm-hmm. Australia, on the schedule in the near future?
6: No, the World Cup's the big one. So you know, and and the way sport works, and certainly cricket, is when tours come into South Africa, um, those rights belong to Cricket South Africa, and they on sell those to broadcasters. So you've got to get this fixed and get it fixed quickly, and then move forward. What's the best case scenario here? Best case scenario is that it doesn't get gazetted and uh, Members Council. Come to an agreement with the interim board, the minister, I'm not too sure of her. They change the MOI and we move forward and then uh, we can carry on. Worst case? Worst case, you gets uh, the minister, it comes into play. Um, the minister does uh, use his powers, so we can't tour, we can't play. I think sponsors will become, as you mentioned about soccer, they withdraw. Very hard to get sponsors back in. And then uh, you don't you don't go to the World Cup. That'll have drastic.
1: Can you start a parallel body? Is it possible if cricket South Africa is is so messed up that the government minister has to step in to suspend them? Could there be enough of a groundswell to say, oh, "We don't want to play with these f- clowns. We're going to play with uh, different people"?
6: I I wouldn't say that's that's realistic. Um because you do need, as a national body, you could do it as a private, you could start cricket as a privateer, I suppose. Um, like
1: your Liverpool guys try to do in England. <laughs> like
6: huh? the, yeah, but but you see the ramifications of that. Um, and certainly you want national cricket, we want the pro tiers play, we want to uh, see the guys, we want to see Temba. You know, Temba, Dean, uh, Danae, the three captains of the national team, came out this week and were very vocal in their um, trying to get this settled and move on. They were they were saying... Well, that not
1: surprisingly. The, no,
6: quite right. They want to play cricket. And the administrators are stopping them? Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a complex thing because you've got a Members' Council, which is made up of all the affiliates presidents, so the, the members of, of Cricket South Africa, and that is where the, the problem is. The interim board has been appointed by the minister, has been in place for About, sure, probably eight months now.
1: Is there a lot of politics in in cricket?
6: There's politics in sport, definitely. And it doesn't matter if it's South African cricket or any other uh, sporting code throughout the world. You will have politics, definitely.
1: You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. So we have our internal experts on various subjects, including our very own Clive Eckstein, giving us the insight on chaos. I mean, a, a sport. Can you imagine being a timber performer? Yeri he is the, the the captain of the side, and he can't take, he can't play. He can't take them out.
3: It's a very sad situation, Alec. Alec, if I can just tell you a story, all I've ever grown up with, and cricket was my first love, you know, it didn't, didn't break my heart like my second love, my grade seven girlfriend, but... <laughs> Uh, what my, was her name? Uh, I can't tell you that. What details. was her name?
1: You've not to, hmm? 10
3: to 12 years, we have the Cullis and Boucher era. Absolutely phenomenal. Waking up during the Christmas holidays, turning on the TV at 5 o'clock in the morning, watching them in Australia, dominating them in Australia. The last five years, reality has hit like a ton of bricks, and our cricket team's gone sideways. And you've got to ask yourself the question, when performance starts to slide... Does that sort of um, move into the boardroom and, uh, and things like that? Because I'm sure there's lots of lots Or Was it caused
1: up. by the boardroom?
3: That's also a good point.
1: Mm. What was her name? <laughs> what did you call Danny. her? Danny. Danny. Oh, Danny. Well, Danny is going to get a, a – <clears throat> someone's going to tell Danny, do you remember Justin? She's going to say, oh, of course, have you got his number? So she was the her. You know, often when the guys are really drunk, they talk about
3: her. I was grade seven, eh? (laughs) actually.
1: Jared, have you got a grade seven girlfriend you want to tell us
2: about? Uh, Certainly not that I want to tell you about, no.
1: (laughs) But you do want to tell us about the Toyota Starlet?
2: Yes, yes. Toyota's uh, Etios replacement. Uh, So the Etios, as we all know, I mean, they're everywhere was wildly popular for the brand in South Africa. Um, Initially loaded as a Taz replacement, it it filled the budget uh, segment in Toyota's range really well. But it was getting on a bit in terms of age. And so uh, Toyota decided to replace it with the Starlet. So if you look at the Starlet, it may look a bit familiar to you. And that's because it is actually just a rebadged Suzuki Beleno. Uh, the Beleno, of course, has been uh, on sale for two, three years now in South Africa. And while it's done well, uh, it hasn't sold quite as well as Suzuki's other offerings like the Swift or the Ignis, for example. And it really just shows uh, Toyota's what, reputation. What's
1: G-badged? Come on. Yeah, you know, when you read a paragraph and somebody and puts a word in there you can't understand, you go and look it up <laughs> so you can carry on with the paragraph. You said G-badged.
2: So, it's, no, I said sorry. G badged. Oh, re badged. Ah, yeah. So I, yeah. I, I,
1: Carrie's here, and we never know with her if it had a if there was something rude there that oh, that was coming out. No,
2: nothing rude here. You know, so she would have jumped say, on did it. You
7: say G badge or <laughs> I oh, told
2: yeah. you. I told you. Yeah, be be nice. And she's
1: got her one. So <laughs> you're in trouble, Jared. Okay. <laughs> Hello,
7: Jared. How are
2: you? I'm good. How are you, Carrie? I'm perfect. All <laughs> the better for
1: seeing you on the screen. In front of you. Oh, glory! Okay, come on. We're talking cars now, not not wine just yet.
2: So, G badge is essentially Toyota has. You could call it an alliance with Suzuki, and basically uh, they. How do I put this? They use one another's products and market them as their own. So, uh, like for example, you can go to a Suzuki dealership and buy a Baleno, uh, or you could walk into a Toyota dealership and buy a Starlet. And, and they're the same. same car. Same car. Exactly same car. No, that's a rip. Uh,
1: and and which of, what a, is the
2: price yes. of the two? Uh, so the, the, this, is the, this is the very interesting part about it all. Because everyone goes, oh, it, you know, you just choose which one, one you like, Toyota or Suzuki. But if you look at it this way, the Suzuki range only offers three, three derivatives, whereas the Toyota range offers five. Three trim levels, the basic XI. Your mid-range XS And your top-of-the-range XR And both the XS and XR Are available with either a manual or an automatic The specific model I drove Was the XS with an automatic I would definitely tell you to get the manual Because this automatic is It's not a good match With a car But uh, coming back to that alliance Basically uh, these two companies work together And market their products in different Countries for example Where they think it will be successful so with this, for example you So look who's at the, the price? Toyota. No, 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 tell me the price Do you pay more for the Toyota than the Suzuki or less? Now you see, it, it depends on the trim level So they've, they've been clever in a sense and they haven't uh, priced either or out of, out of competition go, oh, I might as well get the Suzuki or the Toyota, so they they all have very, varying spec levels and so on but the thing is for me, Toyota's reputation has meant that when the Starlet came out, the sales skyrocketed sales that the Beleno never saw. The Sala became one of the best-selling cars in South Africa instantly. And I think it's because simply, it's a Toyota. And we know what Toyota's reputation is in South Africa. But number two, if you look at it this way, if you're living out in the middle of Bloemfontein or any small town, chances are there's a Toyota dealership there. Mm. There's there's not going to be a Suzuki dealership there. So... Number one, it's the dealer network that you have when buying the Toyota. But then the Suzuki counters with a four-year 60,000-kilometer service plan, whereas the Starlet only offers a three-year 45,000-kilometer service plan. So you you really actually have to think about which one suits you best.
1: It sounds to me like a Toyota is going to suit you best. It's the same car, but you've got this much wider network. If you break down – Remember, Jared, when when with my beautiful Peugeot, which I love to to the the end of the world, uh, unfortunately, I was driving on KZN's roads, the R one hundred and three, and I hit a pothole, one pothole, which took out two tires. Now, usually one tire is okay, but uh, and this is a main road. Things are not going that well in in my old homeland uh, at the moment. Sure. To try and get a replacement tire for that uh Peugeot 308 was impossible. I managed to mm. finally get one in Peter Maritzburg after trying Howick where they told me forget it. Now if I had a Toyota uh just round the corner, I'm sure someone would have been able to help me
2: out. Yeah. And I think that is the appeal with a Toyota badge. And I think that's why they sold that much better badged as Toyota's but in in any case both of them are frankly superb cars I myself haven't driven one bad Suzuki it is such a surprising brand the, they they come with the engines aren't you look at the power figures you go oh gosh that's not very really powerful but because the bodies the, the the they are so light these cars feel energetic they've got a joie de vivre to them that makes them a joy to drive you know you just pop down to the shops and you are having a laugh changing gears enjoying yourself and you look down you're doing fifty kilometers an hour and is that fast a, for a Suzuki?
1: for a suzuki.
2: No, no, it's not fast for anything, but it's, it's that ability to bring that driving enjoyment over at any speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, coming back to the automatic gearbox, I would personally avoid it because when I was driving, it just feels like it saps the energy out of that, out of that vibrant package. And it really needs a manual gearbox. And besides, you pay, you pay just under 250,000, 243,000 for the automatic, whereas you can have the manual with the same amount of equipment for 20,000 rand less and and have more fun it sounds like yes a lot more fun
1: okay so the starlet is around about it's a quarter about a quarter of a million rand uh, which sounds mm. like quite an investment is it aimed at uh, first like like you would get with the houses aimed at first time buyers is this aimed at a aimed at a younger market or at people who are retiring
2: I think this is one of those cars that's aimed at everyone in a in a sense. Basically how you'd look at your Volkswagen Polo Vivo, it's it's a car for everyone. It it would suit anyone, a young mom, a young dad, someone that just needs to nip from A to B, a first time driver. Um yeah, and it's it's it would suit them all. It would suit your granny going to fetch pension, for example, because they are so easy to drive.
3: Jared, how would you compare that? Uh, let me take a base case, uh, a Polo Vivo. I'm in the market to buy a car. Um I, I need it to be a reasonable price. A Polo Vivo versus the Starlet?
2: Look, honestly, you can't go wrong with either genuinely. Uh, The Polo, for example, obviously has that more conservative, more upmarket look that appeals to a lot of people. And the interior feels a lot more solid uh, in the sense of the quality of the material. So it's denser, thicker, soft touch, especially on the dashboard. But I think with the Starlet, uh, price to price, like comparing an equivalent model to an equivalent model, you are going to get a lot more uh, equipment from the Starlet. And as far as I can see, it's got a bigger interior, and it's got a bigger boost as well. Uh, my favorite is the Starlet. But, I mean, personally, if you had to buy a, a Polo Vivo, it's, you haven't done anything wrong.
1: Jared, you've given us lots of insight as well. Uh, do you know much about wine?
2: Uh, no, unfortunately, I don't drink.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, so you and I are in the same camp problem. here.
7: problem. I knew
2: uh, there was a problem
1: uh, with, with Jared. What's the problem with Jared and me? Is there a problem with me too?
7: I'm going to give him that same de-alcoholized wine that I gave you.
2: Jared. Okay. Yeah. Carrie, I actually had some last week, and it, it, I don't know, I, I can't even remember the brand, but it, to me it just it tasted like someone put half a glass of water in my Jose.
7: Stick to, stick to grape juice. It's actually nice. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, don't worry
3: about them. That's just more for
7: us. More for us. Just eat more for What us. a pleasure, Carrie.
1: <laughs> well, Carrie's corner. Officially starts now, it's <laughs> on a festive Friday. I can Friday. see
7: Jared trembling in his, behind his desk. <laughs> well,
1: he's at, he's at Fine Music Radio in Cape Town. So yes, he's, he's keeping the guys there, um, you know,
7: yeah, on an even under keel. control. And
1: he went into, he's in a beautifully soundproofed. Uh, so are we. Yeah, but he gets people walking past and they watch him and he waves at them. Like a celeb. Well, like, he is a celeb.
7: <laughs> Jared, <laughs> what's
1: it like being a celeb in Cape Town?
2: Oh, I I wouldn't know myself. There's there's far bigger celebs here, or at least people that think they are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Everyone's a celeb in Cape Town. (laughs) Carrie,
1: who are you talking to
2: tonight?
7: I'm speaking to Jonah Naidu. So Jonah Naidu and I go back a couple of years. He is one of the founding members of a very trendy, little vibey, niche retail liquor outlet in the high street of Parkhurst. And he and his partner, Martin Pinar, have, I think, done an amazing job of weathering the COVID storm. It's not easy to be a retailer, A. It's definitely not easy to be a retailer in the liquor space at the moment in South Africa. And it's even more difficult to be a retailer in the liquor space in, I think, it's a 38 or 48 or maybe 50 square meter shop. Jono, are you with us on the line?
0: Yeah, good evening, Carrie. And, um, yeah, I couldn't do a better job at that introduction.
7: Uh-huh. Thanks so much for joining us in my naughty corner. We're going to have lots of fun, and I hope that you had a drink or two before you joined us. Did you?
0: I uh, definitely got a glass poured here. Don't what, worry what, about that. What's
7: in your glass?
0: So I've got um, – I, I think the, probably the best value for me is that um, uh, seriously old dirt, Vela oh. uh, So, Yeah.
7: So he was one of my first podcast interviews when I first got sort of roped into this very happy space that's Biz News. I interviewed Mike Ratcliffe because, do you remember, Alec, we had Mike in... Another studio. It wasn't this
1: one. Yeah, we've... We were uh, somewhere. This is, this is version two. Version one had lots of yeah. glass, if you remember. And so we're it kind of bounced off actually. the... We're
7: quite nomadic at business. News yeah, at the moment.
1: Well, wait until the 7th of May. Wait. 7th of May, we're in our new we're studios. we Yeah, Capitol Hill.
7: So, Jonah, we did do Mike Ratcliffe because Seriously Old Dirt is one of my favorite go-tos as well. But the other day, I had... Um, in fact, yesterday, I had a meeting with Jonah and his partner, Martin both of whom are businessmen in their own right and do stuff other than the little vibey store in the high street. And we caught up for a cup of coffee yesterday and we were chatting about the difficulties of making this whole thing work. And it's really not. And Jonah, I'm terrified to ask the question because I don't know if Tito's listening, but did you bootleg
0: uh, certainly
1: not. Uh, <laughs> Carrie <laughs> what
7: I heard. Not for the record anyway. <laughs> not for the
1: record.
7: No, j- jokes aside. No, none of us were allowed to, to. We all weren't allowed yeah, to, course. but how did you how did you manage to stay alive during during last year? Um where we all know what the margins are on liquor, and I know that everybody's gonna be saying, ha, ha ha they all make loads of money. We don't. How did you survive? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so very interesting. I mean, we um, you're quite right. Our store is pretty small. You know, it's boutique y. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's a neighborhood and community business in Parkhurst. That's how we started. Mm. Um, why did you, know, you start? We went it? Into Can
7: I ask you why you started it before we do lockdown? You were making um, perfectly good money as an accountant or whatever. Why did you go into booze?
0: I ask myself that question all the time, Kerry. <laughs> <Carrie. laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, this thing came out of a passion project. We were, Martin and I were in our business collecting wine and trading wine with friends and family. And, you know, and, um, you know, we thought, um, you know, we could do this. Uh, little did we realize what we are getting into, into the retail game and then the wine industry and all of those compounded, you know, something else for us. Mm. But, you know, we went into lockdown, um, as a traditional retail on the high street in Parkhurst. Um, I think we had 22 weeks of being locked up. I
7: know. Uh, four. Ghastly.
0: Four lockdowns in that period of time. In the in the first few days of the lockdown, um, we are you know um, quite unsure of how this thing would all pan out and whether we would survive actually. Yeah. Uh, but but we actually went into building the store. Uh, we always had an online store. Mm. It never had the sales you know we have and enjoy today. And. Uh, um, we kept building it. We kept the staff and we kept, um, um, you know, building and adding uh, content and products onto our store and, um, you know, used the lockdown and the rumored lockdowns and the president's talks, you know. Um, yes. Those all fueled, you know, the, the online market. And we weren't exempted. I think nobody was no. um, in e-commerce. Everybody saw a spike in e-commerce over that time. And I think that's, that was um, – you know, uh, played in our favor over that time. So we were very lucky that um, you know people were looking online. We were available, and that's taken our store from you know community store in, in Parkers to a national presence. Um, Jonah, we also I, had to, and,
1: I've got a question for you, Ann Carey, and, and I know that the guys who are in the petrol business do this. They estimate what's going to happen to the petrol price at the end of the month, and they either stock up their uh, tanks or they run them down, and then they trade in that way, they make a lot of money. Did you guys do that ahead of Cyril's speeches? Because some of them, we had surprises where you couldn't have liquor. Others of them, it, it things actually went along. It would be very interesting if, if you did trade, and then could you make money out of that?
7: Jonah, you go first.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's very interesting because I think you raise a number of uh, points, Alex. So I think what uh, stifles some of that trading with, you know, um, excess supply and then demand was um, you know the logistics and the warehousing could not cope with the kind of demand we saw in the industry so you know uh, unfortunately we weren't able to so often that you know when we'd get into the lockdown it was you know you know the famous words with immediate effect um, and <laughs> what's telling yeah, on our blood business runs cold
7: <laughs> on a sunday night <laughs> <laughs>
0: mm. exactly And you know we had very little prep, so I think the business models, like you say, in the oil industry and that, are really geared for that to for people to trade. We didn't have that luxury, Um, and you know getting product up from Cape Town, um, you know there were at some point, uh, Carrie, you'll remember, there was a shortage of uh, champagne because as France went to a lockdown, we weren't able to get that over December. Yeah, so it was very tricky.
7: It was very tricky and we were were actually, to be fair, Jonah, let's be honest, we'll just throw all our pants down in Park Station here, but we were actually helping each other, weren't we, as retailers? I mean, Jonah would phone me at Norman Goodfellows and say, we're absolutely out of this, can we borrow or can you help And they did likewise for us, and I'd hazard a guess that there was a lot of that helping that was going on within the retail community, because the supply chain was just so damaged by the stop, start, stop, start all the time. So it was really, really huge business interruption. But Donna, have you come? Have you come out of COVID and the lockdowns slicker, smarter, smoother, more efficient?
0: I would say, um, uh, most definitely, I think, um, we've come, come, um, you know, we've emerged digitally better, um, um, you know, out of COVID. Um, I think we're less reliant on a physical retail store, uh, Mm. than we were pre COVID and that's been good for us. I, I think we've extended our presence, uh, nationally, um, and you know, um, I think you're right about the partnerships because we work with, uh, with, um, with farms and distributors to actually improve the service to our clients. Um, I and think, do, you think, you know,
7: do you think that going forward, because of those relationships that you forged with, directly with suppliers or producers rather than, pardon me, suppliers, do you think that the face of the liquor chain is going to change considerably as a result of it? Because you can go direct to a producer now, can't
6: you?
0: Absolutely. I think, you know, I call this lockdown economics. It, it really changed everything for us. Mm. Um, um, as you say, we, you know, um, we saw uh, saw us compete directly with the wine farms. Yes. You know, um, as much as we love them and we need them and that, and we're the retailer um, and face to the clients, that all changed. But so Jonah, it actually put it
7: also, they put, the government put us in direct competition with the restaurants that we were supplying because they gave them, the right to sell liquor from the restaurant. So we yeah. were actually, not only did we have, during lockdown, the bottle stores weren't allowed to be open, but there were a lot of restaurants that were allowed to be open. People were buying, and the restaurants needed to stay alive. So who can, who can ever bemoan their fate? I mean, you can't say that they weren't allowed to sell booze, and they were. So yeah. we ended up from having just retail competition. Not only do we just have retail competition, there's wholesale competition. There's bootlegging competition, and there's restaurants who have become our direct competition because they're allowed to sell booze off-site. It was, yeah. it was the most alarming set of circumstances that was badly thought out by the government, I think. Do you agree? 100%. Um, look, you, you a hundred percent.
0: Look, you've got to feel for the restaurateurs as well. I mean, um, th- thank God they had, you know, they were able to trade on uh, with liquor. Yeah. So I think that's how many um, restaurants survive. I think it was a good thing in the end. Um, But I think, you know, our industry did need a reset.
7: I agree with um, you 100%.
0: And I think that lockdown inadvertently did create some kind of, um, I think, constructive um, um, reset that we will see over the next few months and into the year. Um, Certainly we can see it in the supply chain, definitely in the wholesale market. Um, and yeah, you know, I think it's gonna improve the the experience for the customer.
7: And and going forward, I mean, anybody who doesn't know dry dock liquors, it's just such a cutie pie shop. You feel like you're in downtown New York or London or somewhere. It's a little hole in the wall from the road in the high street of Parkhurst. Have you been, Alec? Mm-hmm. Dusty, have you been? I
3: haven't been, Carrie, but I, I am what I like to call a, a Parker's veteran when it comes to Saturday. Hey, <laughs> you, you've, got to
7: pop, you've got to stick your head in so dry it's dark. Jonah, I'm sure
3: I'll see you sooner rather than later. <laughs> you know,
0: Absolutely. It's... And, you know, we always tasting. So, uh, you You're know, you...
3: tasting. Uh, geez, <laughs> oh, my God. No, see tomorrow.
0: See Nothing tomorrow. gets on the I, shelf I, without you us know tasting what it. is? They've got...
3: <laughs>
7: It, it reminds me very much of Norman Goodfellows in the old days when we used to trade off the pavement because the shop was too small to fit everything into it. And that's exactly what Dry Dock Liquors is now. They trade exactly. loads of stuff off the pavement. So you walk along the pavement and you see barrels and boxes and glasses. It's right next door to a coffee shop. So you can actually pull up a bench and have a coffee and chat to Jonah or Martin or any of the staff who are all very well informed. And And taste.
3: And taste. Jo, know what time you is testing tomorrow?
0: <laughs> we open at nine. You see, you, you so we taste right see, through. Now you have
3: my attention,
0: <laughs> and we don't judge. <laughs>
3: no, please don't <laughs> judge the business team. Please don't judge the
7: business team. So, what's but the But ta- mm-hmm? I think
0: Carrie, I was just reminded. I mean, um, of the story. I mean, our store is probably 80 square meters. It's still smaller than uh, than Norman's um, first store, right? Maybe 100 square meters.
7: I don't even know if we were 100 square meters. You know, my Jewish partners wouldn't have paid for those extra 20 square meters. I can tell you that right now. But if I remember, that's just a joke, by the way. We had a store in Hyde Park, which was also 80 square meters. So I know what it's like to to try and trade out of that. And you have off-site storerooms and Mrs. Rigby-Jones comes in and Mr. Rabinovitz comes in and they say, we want it and we want it now. And you say, yes, sir, it's just downstairs. And you send Rufus in the bucky quickly like, tearing like a bat out of hell to the storeroom to go and fetch. It's hard to trade out of an 80-square-metre store, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. And that's why we're so grateful for the online business, because it's, you know, sometimes in uh, peak trading hours, it can look like a warehouse rather than a boutique store. So we so we've got to trade off the pavement. And um, I think most people I think uh, around Parkhurst are you know, like that. They, 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 they want to yeah. see uh, small business grow and and succeed. So fortunately, it's a good thing. Um one or two people do frown on it of course. Well
7: I think I love that high street trading. I think it's brilliant. It's very reminiscent of England where you go to Mr so and so the butcher and then you ramble along to mister so and so the baker and it's the vibe is brilliant. Anybody and Cape Town has,
1: does Cape Town have an equivalent? Do you, park
7: you know, Caroline's um, fine wine store, she's got a similar one, but she's so refined and elegant. She's nothing like, no she's nothing like Jonah nothing and Martin, like who are absolute gangsters. But you, you do have to <laughs> Too go. much of credit. <laughs> <laughs> you do all have to make a point of swinging by 4th Avenue and Parkhurst as soon as you can to go and visit them. It's a charming, enchanting little store that has an amazing range of wine. Um, I don't want to say that one of you must have a favorite because you you'd pride yourself on being wine and spirits, I think. But the wine is far more impressive than anything else. It's a must-go-to on any given weekend.
3: What time tomorrow, Jonah? <laughs> Nine. nine
7: Nine Just, Just use nine. the
3: business code Nine in the Coupon morning, code. Jonah Nine in the morning
7: Yeah, use the business Indeed. code Jonah,
3: I've heard of breakfast beers before It rolls off the tongue really nicely <laughs> yeah, But if you're it's... tasting wine at nine o'clock in the morning What is that called? Oh my God, I don't know
0: A, a good time
7: <laughs> <laughs> Jenna, thank you so much for joining us on Biz News As ever, you're just such good company And good luck I know that you've survived COVID And I know that you'll go on to, to grow And I'm really pleased to hear that you've established your online business That's fantastic news
1: Brilliant, thank you You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour Brought to you by the team at biznews.com You see, Jared, we've got Cape Town in Johannesburg. You just need to know where to look. Uh, So, Parkhurst, but aren't you a little um, concerned at your colleague here who wants to go and start drinking wine at 9 a.m.? Sorry, we're not allowed to judge, are we?
2: (laughs) Friday. (laughs) It should be fine.
1: (laughs) Festive Friday, it is indeed. Well, before we let you go, just to remind you that there is no Biz News Power Hour on Monday – we're also going to take a little break because, well, uh, there's not a heck of a lot happening in South Africa. We have a long weekends at
7: the moment. He's exhausted. <laughs> not at all.
1: Uh, but it is a there's not a there's not a whole lot of news that happens on a Monday, and we don't want to bore you. That's the worst thing, isn't it? No, Jerry. we don't want to be boring. So the one thing about radio that that still astonishes me is how much boring radio oh, there is goodness. because people get away with it.
7: And why do people even tolerate boring radio? Well,
1: no one listens. But you no one so. knows that no one listens. So it just continues.
7: Oh, guys, please tell us that you're listening to our podcast. No,
1: no, we get say. plenty. We okay. get plenty feedback. Oh, okay. uh, you're, on, you're on YouTube. Show them the, the wine. You actually are drinking wine,
7: aren't you? We're drinking wine. We're actually drinking.
1: In the studio. No, I the promise studio. you, no other media company Not in allowed. South Africa will allow you to drink Not in the studio. Allowed. And we are.
7: We've got this huge, unbelievable boss that we work for. He is. <laughs> exactly. <to> Mr. Hog. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. Before we let you go, uh, let's find out what happened on the markets from Brightrock, which believes that every change in life, with every change in life comes opportunity, and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes, Justin.
3: The JSE All Share Index was up at 67,300. The highlights included Asset Manager 91 up 2.5% to a share at under 50 bucks a share. European mall owner Nepi Rockcastle was up 3.4% to 98 rand a share. Discovery was down and 2.25% to 130 rand a share. And in the US, Coinbase is slightly up at $300 per share despite Bitcoin being in freefall. In the currency markets, the rand is weaker against all the major currencies to 14 rand, 29 cents to the dollar, 19 rand, 80 cents to the sterling and 17 rand, 23 cents to the euro. Gold is down at $1,775 an ounce. Brent crude is trading at $66 a barrel. The premier k- cryptocurrency will put you back 710,000 rand of Bitcoin.
1: 710,000 rand for one Bitcoin.
3: For one Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, I, I, it was, as we were saying earlier, 922,000 rand 10 days ago, but who can bet against it? can be wrong. N- have
7: you boys been drinking before I got here? 19- 710,000 rand for one Bitcoin?
1: That's it. That's it. $50,000. We'll a- it doesn't go a long way in rands.
7: Hope you all have a brilliant long weekend.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Bitcoin trades over the weekend, so you're going to have to be careful there, Gary.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This market report was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, that brings to an end our festive Friday. Uh, Jared Neves in the studio in Cape Town. Jared, what are you doing this weekend?
2: Uh, not much, and I'm happy about that.
1: Well, I know. I tell you what. Talk about people who work hard. Hey, Jared, he keep the wheels going. he just
2: around in
7: cars all day. There's oh, that hard. too. Oh,
2: it's only.
1: <laughs> that too. We
3: love you, Jared.
1: We know exactly what Justin's going to be doing tomorrow, nine o'clock. What's what's the place Dry called? Dog. Uh, Alec, Dry dog. Dry I've
3: got dog. a big exam in five weeks. Alec. I'm going to be a little bit more responsible <laughs> than that.
1: <laughs> and Carrie, you got a big weekend planned?
7: Absolutely nothing. I am chilling. I'm Netflixing. I'm gardening. I'm playing with my puppies. I'm relaxing.
1: Well, it's a good way to spend what do you do? a long weekend. What you uh, what are you well, doing? I'm, I'm trying to get a golf game together for Monday but my pal Manny says he's got to man the shop oh. so I don't know what we're going to do we'll we'll find a way i will get sure. his
7: wife to man the shop
1: uh,
7: <laughs> she's much better at it than
1: he is <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness hmm. well thanks very much for being with us through this week we'll be back again on Wednesday with the Biz News Power Hour and a lot more sober at that time, this is festive Friday and we do try and uh, what did you say earlier? Drop your drawers or, or what did Park you? Station. Oh.
7: So my mother always used to say, just maintain your decorum. Don't drop your drawers in park station.
1: You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.